hello, hello, everyone. I'm Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 30 of Unformidable, where we take a look back at some of the less heralded Mets in our beloved franchise's quirky history, as every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. So it's been a couple of weeks since the champagne has dried in the Visitor's Clubhouse in Houston. I'm going to take one more opportunity to use this past season as a reason to look back. I mean, looking back is really the raison d'etre of uh, unformidable to an extent. So before we turn to free agency and look forward, or look forward in order to look back as it would be for unformidable and perhaps look at exciting Met off-season stories, I uh, just wanted to look back one last time or had one last inspiration uh, since it's been a long time since the sweetest of champagne celebrations for all of us Met fans, uh, so long that many of us can't even remember it. Uh, but when I think back those 33 long years to the Mets winning the World Series and that beautiful, beautiful post-game celebration, and basically when I think of any Mets post-game celebration, I think, of course, of one person as some of you older Met fans may well remember, and that is Randy Neiman. Not the most prolific of the 1986 Mets, but that's really kind of the point of this story or anecdote, anyway. But first, first off, Randall Harold Neiman was born November 15th, so happy early birthday, Randy Neiman, coming up pretty soon. Born November 15th, 1955 in Scotia, California, which is apparently a town 300 miles or so north of San Francisco. There's an excellent article by David Skelton of the Society of Baseball American Research on Randy Neiman, uh, which gave me more detail than I normally would get on players' backgrounds and post-baseball lives. So... Uh, Randy Neiman's mom's side of the family settled in New York in 1679, and uh, his grandfather helped build both the Hoover and the Cooley Dams, and if you're interested in the 86 Mets, or Randy Neiman, or, well, just looking to waste a lot of time on the internet, perhaps at work, after listening to this podcast, of course, uh, definitely look up that article uh, by David Skelton and really just all the articles on Sabre uh, that you can find. They're really fascinating, detailed reading. But uh, Randy Neiman attended Fortuna High School in California and the College of the Redwoods uh, nearby Eureka, California. Um, I never knew this about Randy Neiman. I only knew him, I knew him basically as a loogie before the term existed. Actually, he kind of did longer mop-up uh work in the 86 Mets, but at any rate, he was a well-regarded prospect, drafted multiple times. Uh, he was drafted by the Expos in the fifth round in June 1974, uh, the Twins in the third round in January of 75, before being drafted and signing with the Yankees in the second round of the June 1975 draft. Neiman had a nice run in the Yankees minor league system, and as I said, was regarded as a pretty good pitching prospect. But, you know, the Yankees were the 76 American League champions, and 
traded the prospect along with a couple of other prospects to the Houston Astros in June 15, 1977 for Cliff Johnson. And Neiman continued working his way up through the minors in the Houston organization. In the AA Southern League, he was named to the All-Star team. And the Sporting News heralded the young left-hander as a big part of Houston's future plans. Maybe it's the lefty thing. Maybe it's just the lack of advanced metrics. You know, he had a really good season in AA, 9-5 with a 2.05 ERA. Um, you know, but he basically was always a pitcher who walked almost as many batters as he struck out. But, you know, it was a different time in baseball, my friends. And Neiman was considered a you know, huge pitching prospect. And he, the Astros were looking to contend in 1979. So he didn't make the Astros opening day roster, but he was considered, you know, a young gun down there to come up. And he... Uh, when there was an injury, I think, to Vern Rule in the Astros pitching rotation, uh, Neiman came up in May of 79, and he came up with a bang. Uh, and, and another reminder that it was a different time in baseball, because he made his first three career Major League starts in May, June of 1979, and two of those were complete games. Uh, the third, the second complete game was a shutout of the Phillies that lowered Neiman's ERA in his first three starts to a sterling 0.72. And little did any of us know it, but Randy Neiman pretty much peaked in his Major League Baseball career right there. He began to struggle a bit, and as mentioned, the Astros were in a pennant race in 79, so the team turned back to its veteran presence and moved Neiman to the bullpen for the remainder of the 79 season. Uh, his rookie year would actually be one of his best. He threw a career high 67 innings that season and recorded a 0.0 a 0.0 war according to baseball reference, which was better than most seasons when he had he was in negative numbers. So again, Neiman was going to be counted on as a contender for the rotation in 1980, but the Astros were still really pushing to contend and signed the in a ballyhooed signing brought on Nolan Ryan in the 1980-1979 offseason to start 1980 with them. With Ryan being added to the rotation, Neiman was relegated to long relief, didn't make the rotation for the team, and he saw very little time for an Astros team that saw their starters record 31 complete games in the 1980 season. Through the team's first 39 contests, Neiman pitched only five innings uh, to a 7.20 ERA, and unfortunately for him, this really augured things to come as <clears throat> kind of began a quadruple A slash, uh, again, Lugie is probably not fair. Uh, sometimes he did pitch long stints in relief, but, you know, really like a quad A, back end of the bullpen type career. As for the 1980 season, Neiman only threw 33 innings, over 22 appearances, and really shuttled back and forth to the minors. And as you would imagine from basically almost any pitcher that struggles, even pitchers that have wonderful success, arm troubles certainly played a part in this role, as any, any possible future bloom that was still on Neiman certainly disappeared as from 1980 to 1982 he struggled with elbow problems ultimately needing surgery and not actually resurfacing in the major leagues until may of 1982 at that point with the pittsburgh pirates after being part of a trade for phil garner neiman really struggled to kind of reestablish himself between 82 and 84 regaining his health 
but not quite yet his efficiency uh, between 82 and 84 he was with the Pirates and the White Sox organization he spent most of his time in AAA he did appear in 33 major league games but struggled badly uh, combined 5.80 ERA between those two teams in the 1984 offseason, Neiman went to the Winter League in Puerto Rico and pitched on his manager there was Dave Duncan, who of course was a very noted pitching coach for many years, primarily with the Cardinals, and I think with the A's too. I know he, he was with La Russa all the time, which is why his name makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit, but uh, Neiman kind of gave Duncan a lot of credit for kind of helping him rejuvenate his career. And the Mets, at that time, an astute, well-run organization. I know, sounds crazy, but this was pre-Wilpon managing partners days. Uh, the Mets acquired Randy Neiman before the start of the 1985 season, uh, right at the end of spring training, picking him up for a pair of minor leaguers. And Neiman continued to kind of reestablish himself, pitching really well in AAA Tidewater, uh, through 159 innings, so demonstrated his health, posted 2.76 ERA, was among the league leaders in wins for what that is worth. And of course, the Mets were a thriving, excellent team in 1985, so Neiman wasn't needed, although he did earn a call-up uh, when the rosters expanded in September, and he threw four and two-thirds scoreless innings in late September and October of 1985. This earned Neiman an invite to, you know, not just an invite, but seemed to have a, a lead track on a role in the 1986 bullpen, and he indeed had a strong spring in 1986. So he earned a spot on the staff, on supposed to be on the opening day roster. I, I don't remember this, the details of this, but according to that article on Sabre that I mentioned, due to a clerical error, uh, quoting... Frank Cashin, a quirk in the formality of the rules, caused Neiman to be pushed off the opening day roster, but he would come up just days later, and Randy Neiman would have his revenge of sorts on Frank Cashin a little bit later in 1986. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price, and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Randy Neiman spent most of that magical 1986 season with the big club. He did go back to AAA for a bit in July. But again, that was a different time in baseball. Where I mean, obviously, the 86 team was you know, an amazing historic team. Uh, but we're talking about a team whose top four starters all threw over 200 innings. We're talking about a team that saw their top two relievers combined for 200 innings, including a stunning 128 from Roger McDowell, which doesn't even count the postseason. So Randy Neiman didn't really see a ton of work, was not a prominent member of that team. And he struggled early in the season, uh, suffered losses in extra inning games on April 12th and April 14th, helping contribute to a 2-3 and three start that season for the heavily favored New York Mets. And as I recall, sending the city of New York and its National League fans and 
probably 11-year-old me into a complete tizzy over uh, what we thought was going to be uh, a wonderful season. But Randy Neiman, much like the 1986 Mets, would settle in. Randy Neiman didn't allow a run again until June, getting his ERA down as low as 2.35 uh, in the, I think, end of May, early June, that was. He picked up two of the Mets' franchise record 108 wins that season. On May 18th, he pitched three and two-thirds innings scoreless relief in uh, relief of a struggling Bruce Bereni. I That was a name I had forgotten was on the 1986 Mets, I will tell you. I must have blocked that out. But he allowed the team to come back and win in Los Angeles against the Dodgers, a win that helped them leap out to a 23-9 record, that 2-3 start, long since forgotten. And later in the season, with the team 16 and a half games up, I believe, when I looked it up in the standings, Randy Neiman made the 10th and final start of his Major League career in the second game of a doubleheader on August 17th against the Cardinals. What one would have thought would be a game burgeoning with early pennant race implications uh, was not, with the Mets lapping the field in the NL East. But Randy Neiman went six innings against those Cardinals, surrendering one earned run and earning his second win of the season, his final as a Met, and the penultimate win of his Major League career. Neiman pitched quite sporadically down the stretch, and while he was on the postseason roster, he did not appear in the postseason at all. Davey Johnson essentially employed only the Mets' seven best pitchers in the playoffs in a, as I said, a bit of a precursor to what we see more of today, we're using starters out of the bullpen, you know, obviously very famously used Sid Fernandez out of the pen in Game 7 of the World Series, and you know, that got a lot of attention because teams didn't do that quite as much back then, at least as far as I remember. So the only pitcher not named Gooden, Darling, Ojeda, Fernandez, Aguilera, Orozco, or McDowell to pitch at all in the 13 games of that postseason was Doug Sisk, who through one and two-thirds of essentially mop-up work in games that the Mets lost, one inning in game five of the NLCS, which was only 3-1 at the time, but with Mike Scott cheating and cruising, was looking very much like a sure loss, and the last two-thirds of an inning of the Red Sox blowout win in game two of the World Series. So Randy Neiman did not factor in the Mets' postseason victories or losses. But, of course, the apocryphal, memorable story about Randy Neiman is the post-game celebration when the Mets won that classic marathon Game 6 against the Astros to clinch the National League pennant. Uh, Neiman entered the clubhouse and was the one who grabbed a bottle of champagne and poured it over the head of the being-interviewed general manager, Frank Cashin, who, uh, according to reports, clearly responded with a bitter glare and, according to reports, uttered the immortal quote, something along the lines of, why is it always the players who do the least who celebrate the most? I say apocryphal because I've seen people say it was in the Astros, after the Astros series, I've seen it reported as being after the Red Sox series, but I most of the reports I've seen and what I thought I remembered was that it was after uh, the Game 6 against Houston, which of course was also the gateway to, you know, if you've read any of the books on the 86 Mets, particularly that Perlman book, which not my favorite, but 
you know, that that post-game flight back from Houston was apparently the uh, epoch of 1986 Mets debauched celebrations. So, and all started off perhaps with Randy Neiman pissing off Frank Cashin. And if Randy Neiman got his quote-unquote revenge on Frank Cashin, as I just imagined for accidentally leaving him off the opening day roster, well, you don't want to piss off your general manager and your boss, because I would guess Frank Cashin got even more revenge by not re-signing Randy Neiman in the offseason. Not that he probably factored heavily into the plans of the Mets as someone who really didn't pitch a ton in that 1986 season. He did throw 35 and two-thirds innings in 86 to a 3.79 ERA, really his best season since, his best numbers since his rookie season in Houston in 1979, but didn't factor into the Mets' plans and probably didn't factor into Frank Cashin's plans at all. So Nima became a free agent after that World Series victory, and interestingly enough, signed with the Minnesota Twins. He spent almost all of the 1987 season with AAA Portland. I got called up very briefly in June, recording his final Major League victory on June 8th against the Kansas City Royals. Neiman was not on the Twins postseason roster, and I don't know if he got a World Series ring, but Randy Neiman did play for two World Series winners in his final two Major League seasons, including one with our beloved New York Mets. He was invited to Royals spring training in 88 as a non-roster invitee, but didn't make the cut and retire. He, I think he actually resigned with the Mets and pitched some in Tidewater that season, but never made it back to the big club and ultimately retired. Once a promising prospect, perhaps not by our modern metrics, but well-regarded and the kind of pitcher who could get a long look back in that era, despite his lack of strikeout stuff, Neiman either plateaued and or was derailed a bit by that elbow injury and for his career through only exactly 200 career innings. He went 7-8 in his major league career with a 4.64 ERA, appeared in 122 games, had 10 starts, recorded 3 saves, struck out 102 batters in those 200 innings, walked 82, yes, and had a 1.505 whip, which gave him a war, according to baseball reference, a B-war of negative 0.9 for his major league career. Neiman had some of his best times with the Mets going 2-3 and three with a 3.35 ERA, uh, 40 and a third innings, 12 walks, 20 strikeouts, uh, so 1.512 whip, but pitched around that a little better with the Mets than with other teams, and recorded a positive 0.3 war as a New York Met. So statistically, and I would like to think memory-wise, if he can remember in the haze of that champagne and whatever else-induced celebration, emotionally the best times of his career for Randy Neiman as a New York Met. And Neiman's time with the Mets did not end there by a long shot. He pretty much immediately became a pitching coach in the Mets organization starting in 1989 with Kingsport and working his way up through the minors until 1996 when Bobby Valentine became manager and selected Neiman as his bullpen coach. 
Neiman was fired from that position in 99, along with a bunch of Valentine's coaches when the team was struggling, and Steve Phillips uh, let go of a lot of the coaching staff, although didn't fire Bobby V, which turned out to be a wise move. Uh, he did, unlike some of the other coaches, Neiman continued to remain in the organization even when fired as bullpen coach, with, notably as a minor league instructor and a rehab pitching coordinator. In 2011, Neiman, as the rehab coordinator, apparently worked very closely with Johan Santana as he rehabbed from shoulder surgery. He finally left the Mets organization to follow Bobby V in his ill-fated season as Red Sox manager taking that old job as bullpen coach there with the Red Sox in 2012, and he actually finished the season as the pitching coach when Bobby V and his staff got fired. He was the interim pitching coach from August 20th to the end of the year, but didn't remain with the Red Sox organization when John Farrell was hired that offseason and then moved on to the Cardinals organization where he was he was and continues to be a pitching coach and coordinator in their minor league system. But to Met fans, especially those who can remember that 86 championship season fondly, and to Frank Cashin when he was still alive, Randy Neiman was surely unformidable. Thanks for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our amazing pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe if possible, leave a review on your platform of choice, it really helps. Music, original music by Bunga, I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, and the show is at Unformidable. We have a whole long, cold, bitter off-season ahead of us, so please, if you have any suggestions, uh, try to off-season stories, Met legends, you know, maybe we can get a little crazy in the off-season and do some different types of shows as we look back at this franchise we love. And so please uh, send me your suggestions on Twitter, uh, however you like commenting on Amazing Avenue or on the podcast's uh, subscription. Really appreciate any ideas and contributions. Uh, Thank you so much. Hope you enjoy. And as always, let's go. Let's go.